You are listening to a message from Parkway Church in Kurana. Our prayer is that this message blesses and encourages you as you listen. If you'd like to know more about who we are as a church, you can visit our website, parkway-church.com. We're going to look at this passage of Scripture. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And that is our uh, working uh, passage this morning. Your work produced by faith, labor prompted by love, and your endurance and hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are literally in the infancy, in the first week of 2018. And I know that around this time of year, we kind of look back on the past year, and some of us have different views of that year, depending on the circumstances and the things that have come our way. But we are early enough in this year that I think we still have that optimism about the coming year. And I want to spend some time talking about this sense of spiritual reboot. How many of you know that a reboot uh, does help with our technological uh, advices? Before I finally came to know the Lord in a deeper way and bought exclusively Mac products, when I was still using HP products, uh, I would get so frustrated with, with how slow they would come. And, and I know there was things you could do, but my, my answer would be just press the button, start it, and restart it. And often that took care of most of the problems. This is what a reboot does when we reboot our computers or routers. You're literally uh, clearing off the current state of your software and starting over again. You're basically dumping out the junk and starting over again fresh. And this can include whatever problems you've run into. And I think sometimes in our lives, without meaning to do so, as we journey through life, we start to collect junk. We start to collect attitudes, areas of entertainment, maybe uh, uh, things that we haven't let go of, things that maybe uh, they're not even a sin in themselves or, or they, they didn't start out as a sin, but as we kind of went through life, we started to collect all of this junk. And sometimes we need to have a spiritual reboot. And that's why a spiritual reboot is necessary. It's interesting how two people, and as a pastor, as you talk with people, it's interesting how you can sit and have a discussion with two people who have faced almost identical circumstances, maybe in the past year. I mean, you, you sit and you say, I know no two people are the same, and I know no two circumstances are exactly the same, but boy, these two people have faced almost the same thing, and one person will look back and say, what a rotten year, I didn't know where God was, it was a terrible year, and, and the other person facing the same circumstances will say, you know, it was tough, but God is faithful. He got me through. The Spirit of God was with me. He gave me wisdom. He sustained me. Two people, one will choose negativity and despondency, another determines to put on the garment of praise and choose joy. And so here's what I want to say as we face 2018, and this is good, you should write this down, just saying, uh, we may not determine the circumstances that we face in 2018, but we can determine how we face those circumstances. That is good, isn't it? See, judging by your response, you didn't hear me, so I'm going to say it again. We may not determine the circumstances that we face in 2018, but we can determine how we face those circumstances. And that's true. That's true of me, and that's true of you. And if there's one word that's resonating in my spirit from my life, 
as well as for this spiritual house and, and each one of us that makes it up, it's this, steadfast. I think God is trying to work in my life steadfastness again. To be steadfast means to be firmly fixed in place, immovable. It means not subject to change, determined to stay at the core of what really matters. Unwavering, unfaltering, unswerving, uncompromising, unyielding. So let me ask this question. Does your faith in Jesus keep you planted firmly in your convictions, your responses to adversity, and claiming the promises of God despite what's going on around you? Do, or do circumstances move us emotionally and dictate our level of faith, our level of obedience, and our level of determination to walk in righteousness? And that, to me, is the difference between being a steadfast person and a person that's not steadfast. My faith works when I don't need it. But all of a sudden, when I need faith, does my faith work? And by that, I mean this is that does the way that I handle my life and my circumstances look any different from someone who doesn't have faith in Jesus? And if it doesn't look any different, then probably there is a spiritual reboot that needs to take place in order for me to be steadfast. See, sometimes circumstances come and we get bogged down in them. And what is happening is the moment steals our focus away from our view of eternity for the call that God has put on each of our lives from the mandate of God's word and we start reacting instead of living steadfastly. Sometimes it feels like instead of, and I saw this statement somewhere this week and I thought, man, that's, that's me sometimes. Sometimes instead of abiding in the vine, I feel like I'm dying in the vine. That's true of my life. We all go through those seasons. Sometimes we have those seasons where anxiety and anger, resentment and fear and sin want to clutter the hard drive of our minds and block the joy, the peace, the steadfast serenity and the righteousness that God's word has promised we can live in daily, that God wants to download, that God wants to upload into our lives. It could be, it could be today that your heart yearns for refreshing, that your heart yearns to just start to be able to move through life with that fluidity. Again, think of your computer. Think of what happens when you reboot that computer, get rid of all the history and maybe defrag it and remove some of the things that need to be removed that have just kind of picked up and, and you turn it on and all of a sudden you go, I almost forgot how easy this was supposed to run. And it's not that life is ever easy, but Jesus made the statement, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And a spiritual reboot will bring us back to that place where we say, Lord, life isn't easy, but you are taking me through this. And 1 Thessalonians, I think, gives us the keys to a spiritual reboot. God's word can remove everything that is cluttered and crowded our minds. Uh, it renews our minds. Our hearts and emotions can be reestablished in the things that God has for us through the word of God and the ministry of the Holy Spirit so that we can run free of those viruses that slow us down, clutter us, and... Uh, Sometimes, nah, it's okay, we'll just move on. 1 Thessalonians is the first letter that Paul actually ever wrote. Uh, it's not listed chronologically that way in Scripture, but it was the first letter he wrote. He wrote it probably about three months after he founded that church. Uh, he and Silas were on a missionary visit. They had to leave that city under great duress after anywhere between three weeks to three months. They had to leave because of the pressure of people that were opposing him. And three months later, 
he writes this letter, and uh, Timothy uh, brings back the report to him because Timothy stayed the pastor, and Timothy brings back the report, and Paul writes this letter. And in this letter, he introduces a foundational triad that you can find in much of his writings, and it's this, faith, love, and hope. In Corinthians, he puts it in order of faith, hope, and love, but here he builds on faith, which builds, leads to love, which leads to hope. And so we're going to look at this this morning. First of all, your work produced by faith. In 1 John 6, 28 to 29, people came to Jesus and said, what must we do? The work. What works do we have to do that God requires? They, they came out of a system where they had to do things in order to find the favor of God. And Jesus replied, the work of God is this, to believe. To believe, to put your faith in, to put your trust in the one that he has sent. And so Jesus was telling them, listen, you can't earn your salvation. You can't work for your salvation. It comes simply by believing in Jesus and trusting in the finished work of the cross. I can't earn my salvation. I can't uh, do anything to enhance it. I must believe. So listen, we don't work for our faith. But work springs from our faith. James, Jesus' half-brother, said... Show me your faith by what you do. Because the result of my faith is that I have to do something. I don't do anything for my salvation. But after I've put my faith in Jesus, that faith compels me to work for Jesus. It propels action. See, faith determines how I respond and how I act to people and to the circumstances of my life. Faith compels me to act in a certain way because God's word tells me to. By confidence and faith in God's word, I don't react according to my emotions or my limited wisdom, but by the word of God, by the leading of the Spirit. See, faith will never sideline me. Faith doesn't retreat. Never, faith never throws up its hands when God tells me to go and says, you can't, there's too many obstacles, because faith will find a way around those obstacles, through those obstacles, over those obstacles. Or if I have faith, even the size of a mustard seed, I can say that obstacle, get out of the way, and Jesus says it would be removed. That's what faith does. It compels me to act differently than maybe what life is bringing me and how my flesh wants me to respond because the root of faith is trust. Trusting that God will do what he said he will do. Trusting that when his word tells me this is how you're to respond in life, then there's blessings for responding that way. See, when I, when I choose to respond the way I do, I don't lose my salvation, but God says, okay, go ahead and handle it. We'll see how you do. But when I respond the way God's word tells me to, God says, now I can get involved on your behalf. That's what faith does. Work produced by faith. Proverbs 3, 5 to 6 tells us, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. That word trust uh, could be replaced with faith. Put your faith in the Lord with all your heart. See, if we trust in ourselves what we see, what we can reason, what our emotions are telling us, then we're leaning on our own understanding. To lean in this context means to be held up. It's like this stool that, that they were sitting on. That, that word lean literally means to, to allow something to bear the weight of. So right now, I'm leaning. This is bearing my weight. And the Bible tells me in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 to 6, that if I am literally putting all of my weight on my own understanding, guess what? I'm going to end up flat. Or the stool will. But you know what I mean. But I am to lean, I'm to depend, I'm to put my confidence 
in the Lord and in his word and in the leading of the Spirit. We act and work in faith knowing that God is working in us and through us for his purposes, for our benefit and for his glory. And it's faith that keeps us working even when we don't see the outcome yet. See, everywhere in God's word, we see God acting. He's either responding to people's faith in him or he's calling them to faith in him so that he can act and move through them. The entire scripture, if the scripture only talked about God, it would be much smaller. But scripture is God interacting and moving people to do incredible, miraculous things and to live above the fray of life in holiness and righteousness and in victory. And it gives us their stories, sometimes their failures, but it tells us their triumphs. And the word of God is a testimony of how God is either calling people to faith or God is responding to faith. That's what the Bible's about. And we cannot please God without faith. In every example of Scripture, a response of faith was required with no guarantee of outcome, no crystal ball into the future, but just simply saying, God, I will lean on you. I will trust in you. So let's go back to Proverbs 3, 5 to 6. To trust in God, to have faith in God, to lean on God, means that I have to have a distrust in myself. It means that I have to be aware that I don't have enough wisdom, I don't have enough experience, and I don't have enough know-how to just navigate this thing on my own. So to have faith in God means I have to have no faith in myself without Him. And so if, I, if my first response to the trials or the circumstances that come my way or the things that God has called me to do, if my first response is to react emotionally or to start to think or go on social media or ask, then I am leaning and not distrusting myself. But if my first response is prayer, if my first response is, God, help me. Jesus, what do you want me to do? Jesus, this is what I want to do right now. But what do you call me to do? What does your word call me to do? What's your spirit going to empower me to do? Then you're leaning on him. Does that make sense? So to have faith in God means a distrust in ourselves. Now I understand that there's wisdom and there's experience and there's all of that, but it never replaces our need to say, Jesus, help me. To, to say, my life needs to be under the authority of God's word. Faith action that God requires is to deny our natural flesh responses and make room for him to act and to move and to intervene because we are acting steadfastly. So your level of trust in God that allows for peace, joy, and holiness in the midst of trial, persecution, and troubles, that's what brings us into a place of steadfastness. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So can I tell you something? If you're ignoring and neglecting daily the word of God, then you're going into your day without leaning on him. And you say, well, I've read it before. The Word of God is living and active. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. It's not a dictionary where when you memorize the, the what do dictionaries do? They, the, the, whatever it is of the Word, the definition of the Word, uh, and you go, I've got it. The Word of God is the primary tool the Holy Spirit uses to speak to us in the moment. And if you're neglecting that daily, then you're leaning on your own. You don't distrust yourself enough to enter into your day without fresh Word from God. Secondly, so a spiritual reboot means we have to make faith our priority. Do the things that lead to faith and to life. Secondly, your labor prompted by love is the second layer of our foundation. That word labor, it's funny how he says work produced by faith and the labor 
prompted by love. How many of you know you can work, but then work can become labor? There's a difference because labor has the sense, the idea of toiling, of fatigue, of difficulty, of persistence. How many of you know that there are seasons of our lives in our relationships, in the workplace, in our schools, in our spiritual walk, with just the circumstances that come, all of a sudden the work that God has for us in our daily life, the calling that is on us, our calling as husbands and wives and as parents and people in the workplace, that calling to work in faith can all of a sudden become a burden, become toil, become labor. There are seasons when working in faith and faithfulness can truly be difficult. And our love for Jesus, listen, our love for Jesus has to surpass our faith so that when our work becomes labor, we will continue to be faithful. And, and I know we could ask, is this a love for Jesus or is this a love for others? Well, unless the Bible gives the distinction, it always means both because we know Jesus said in Matthew 22, verse 36 to 40, he said the two greatest commandments are this, love the Lord your God, and love your neighbor as yourself. Listen to what 1 John 4, 20 to 21, I'll just sum it up. First uh, John 4, 20 to 21 basically says, if you don't love people that you can see, how can you love God who you can't see? And I know I used to say for years, oh, loving God's easy, it's the people that I, but the word of God tells me if I can't love you, then I can't really love God. So it's always both. So there is a, a love that sustains us for people and for God. There's a love that, that the Bible says is being spread all over our hearts by the Holy Spirit, who is the first fruit of the Spirit, is love. So when the Spirit's in us, love is in us, and it's that love that, that will continue to toil in the midst of heartache. It's that love that will continue to labor in the midst of difficulty, motivated by love for God and a love and compassion for people. This agape love that is being spread abroad in our hearts can even allow for joy in the midst of labor. One person said this statement. They said, if the Queen of England or the government of Canada asked us to do something, we'd go, what an honor. They've asked me to do this. What an honor that the highest authority in the land wanted me to do this. But when God asks us to do it, all of a sudden it's a sacrifice. Think about that for a minute. Jay, this is what I've called you to. This is how I want you to work. It's hard, Lord. Yeah, but my love is in you, so now you need to labor under it. What a sacrifice, but I'll do it for you, Jesus. But if the prime minister asked me to do it, I'd have that on social media. Do you know what he asked me to do? In John 12, Mary comes. Jesus is sitting at a table reclining uh, with the disciples and with, with other people, with guests. And Mary comes, and the Bible says she pours out very expensive perfume. Some people say that perfume was so expensive that it would have been her inheritance, and it was so expensive it was worth a, a year's salary. So I don't know what you make a year, but just think about your yearly gross net and then realize that she opened that up and she started to pour that over Jesus' feet. And, man, people were ticked off. Judas especially, we read, and, and they judged her and says, this money could have been given to the poor. You could have put this to that neighbor link walk, and you're just pouring it all out over Jesus. And yet Jesus not only received it, he applauded it because he made this statement, she who has been forgiven much loves much. It wasn't a sacrifice to her. A year's wages wasn't a sacrifice to her. Why? Because she loved Jesus. 
in, in labor, if, if, there is, if, if there's a relationship that God has called you to, if there's a circumstance God has called you to and you've been working faithfully and your faith has told you, I need to commit to this, I need to work to this, I need to be faithful to this, and all of a sudden it's becoming labor, then what you need to do is not ask for more faith, but ask God to give you more love because it's love that, that moves us from sacrifice into the joy of giving. Does that make sense? John 13, 1, it was before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Did you read that? Having loved, he was now going to show them the full extent of his love. And most of you know what follows. Jesus got down on his hands and knees and washed the grimy, dirty, gnarly feet of all of his disciples. Even the disciples that would abandon him, betray him, and fail him. Because the love that Jesus had, and when he did it, the disciples would have been in total shock. Because the job of washing feet, although it was necessary, it was always passed down to either the youngest person in the family or the lowest slave in the household. Because guess what? Nobody wanted to do it. And I don't blame them for one. No one wanted to do it. But the Bible says Jesus did the lowest task possible and served them in the lowest, most humble way. Why? Because he loved them. Because love compels us to labor. And so, how would this kind of love transform our lives if labor became joy when motivated by love, when our faith costs us, when our faith responses require trust and forgiveness and stick, it, stick to itness? Here's a great example, Hebrews 12, 2-3. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary or lose heart. Listen, you can act in faith, and you can keep acting in faith, but how many of you know that you can act in faith and still become resentful? You can act in faith and you can moan and groan and curse under your breath and ask God why the whole time you're doing it. But in fact, you can't labor in love and ever be resentful. So when you labor in love, you can find joy in it. And it's the joy of the Lord that is our strength that continues to allow us to endure even when work becomes labor. Does this make sense this morning? Jesus who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Why? Because he loved us. So in 2018, 13, I don't know where that came from. So in 2018, some of you are thinking, you preached this in 2018, didn't you? No, I did not. I don't know why I said that. In 2018, we do the things that feed our faith, and we do the things that allow God's love to transform our hearts and motivate our lives through the inward work of the Spirit. And finally, your endurance inspired by hope in the Lord Jesus. Hope is what fuels endurance. Hope keeps faith and love intact when everything is working against them. The early church in Thessalonians that Paul was writing to were under severe persecution. Like, not, you know, not our prime minister wearing a sweater with a happy birthday Jesus that everybody was upset about. I'm not saying that's good, but we think that's persecution. This church was persecuted. They were losing their jobs. They were being shut out of family things. They were on the verge of being thrown into prison. Friends, that's persecution. 
And uh, Paul writes them. And what kept them enduring was their faith and love, but what early believers did was keep their thoughts and focus on the soon return of Jesus. Thank you so much for listening to our message. We hope that it blessed and encouraged you. If you liked what you heard, we would love for you to come join us on a Sunday morning here in Karana at 10 a.m. at 551 Murray Drive. If you'd like more information on who we are as a church and as a community, you can visit our website at parkway-church.com.